We are so glad uh, that you are here. It's such a privilege to be able to gather together and worship Jesus. And uh, there's nothing more important that we can do when we come together than open God's word and see its truth and how it applies to our lives. And so uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I would ask you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to grab the one that's in that rack right in front of you, if you turn to page 902 in that Bible, you should find John chapter 15. And while you're turning there, if you're a guest with us, maybe you're checking us out online today, uh, we just want you to know right from the start that we believe that the Bible we are opening is the inspired word of God. We believe that this is inerrant in the original manuscripts and then sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of his spirit, we believe that we can know God. Uh, we can love him, we can follow him, we can worship him, and, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of God's word that we honestly don't believe that what I'm about to say matters at all unless it agrees with what God's word says. We want to collectively be a church that believes it really doesn't matter what I think, what matters is what the Bible says, so what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And if you come to the conclusion that the Bible is God's word and has authority over us, uh, that has significant ramifications for the rest of your life. So just want to throw that out. I don't want you just to take my word for it. This, this is significant. It changes everything. Uh, and so I want you to come to that conclusion for yourself. But if you're not there yet, I at least want you to know where we stand. This is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in John chapter 15. Uh, because I have nothing really to give you of any value unless it's God's word. And, and we're walking through the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 through 17 because John has documented for us what Jesus said to his disciples after what we know as the Last Supper, the, the last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his closest friends, but before he arrived in the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested and then crucified. And so these passages in John 15 through 17 contain Jesus' last lessons for his disciples. Some people have called uh, this section of Scripture the farewell discourse of Jesus. Jesus is sharing his heart for this group that he has spent the last three years with, day in and day out. And, and now he's getting ready to say goodbye. And our, our desire for this series is that our hearts would align with Jesus' heart for us. That our hearts would align with Jesus' heart for us. And I've been saying this uh, for the last couple weeks, but when I think about this year, 2024, uh, I, I just want to want what Jesus wants. I want to want what Jesus wants, because I believe that what he wants for me and what he wants for us is better than anything we might desire on our own. Have you ever been in a situation uh, where you found yourself saying, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> this, is, this is not what I signed up. How do I get out of this? This is not what I thought it would be. This is not what I signed up for. Maybe uh, one time you made the mistake when you were on vacation of, of believing uh, that you can get free tickets to a show if you sit through a short timeshare presentation. Anyone else ever sit through a short timeshare presentation and waste half a day uh, of your vacation doing so? Uh, Beck and I made that mistake one time, one time, 
And four hours later, we had our free tickets um, and a very frustrated salesman that I had said no to at least 30 times, if not more. And I said, never again, right? I'll pay full price for the tickets to the aquarium or wherever. Like, that's not what I signed up for. That, that, I'm, not, I'm never doing that again. Uh, and, and so maybe you've signed up for something. Uh, you've gone to an event, and it, it's not what you expected. It's very different from the promotional pictures you saw online. You got bait and switched uh, and, and based on how faulty, how much faulty advertising there is, right, we have just become very skeptical of everything, haven't we? And we, like, before we decide to go anywhere or commit to anything, we want to know what's going to happen, right? We want to know the details. We want to know what we're getting into. We really want to know, as best as we can, what we're signing up for. And, and maybe you are here today, and you're concerned that that's the case with Christianity, You've come to church, uh, you've heard about Jesus, and, and you're interested, right? But you wonder, okay, what's it really like? Like, what's the catch? Like, what, 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 what's the fine print? What don't I know yet? What am I really getting myself into? Uh, but the good news is that Jesus didn't present being his follower like a timeshare vacation salesman. Uh, I would argue that Jesus actually would have made a pretty bad salesman by today's standards, uh, because this is how he talks about following him. This is Luke 9, 23. And he, that's Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's selling it very well. Do you? Right? Like that, that, that's not like a go-to sales pitch. Uh, t- today, salesmen will tell you, you deserve this right? Do this for yourself. You deserve this. And Jesus says, following him begins by denying, denying ourselves. Jesus didn't present following him as easy. He didn't promise that all of our earthly problems would disappear. uh, disappear. He said the, the, the gate is narrow, right? The way is hard. And here in John 15, as he's talking to his disciples hours before his own arrest, He wants them to know what to expect if they are going to represent him in the world. So after a passage last week, which last week we focused on the the love that Jesus has for us that then enables us to love one another, uh, which was great. This passage, Jesus tells us to expect the opposite from the world, right? So last week we talked about how Jesus loves. This passage, you could say, is talking about how the world hates And so let's dive in. This is John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father." But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. There's a lot of hating going on in those verses, isn't there? Just, just, just a lot, a lot of it. And, and if you are here and considering becoming a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to know that there is no fine print at the end of the contract that you need a magnifying glass to see. It is all up front. Jesus just lays it out there for us and says, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? And so we're going to go back to the beginning of this, of this passage, and we're going to see uh, what to expect if we're going to, be, uh, if we're going to follow Jesus. Right? I, I, I think it would be easy to look at these verses and, 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 and use them as an excuse to just like complain about our culture, right? Yep, the world's terrible. Like, look how awful they are. And we're not going to do that this morning. Um, we're going to avoid that inclination because that wasn't Jesus's goal in sharing these things. I believe Jesus's goal was for his disciples to not be surprised and not be caught off guard by what they were about to face. He wanted their expectations to align with reality because things go off the rails pretty quickly when our reality doesn't meet our expectations. So here's what we're going to do. As we walk through this text, we're going to see three expectation-setting truths. Three expectation-setting truths for followers of Jesus. Uh, And so if you have chosen to follow Jesus, Jesus wants you to know what to expect. If you're considering following him, I think this is a great uh, passage to consider um, as, as you think through what you believe and, and, and how Jesus calls us to live for him. Three expectation settings truth. Look at verse 18 again. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Since the word world is used a lot in this text, it, it would be helpful to defi- make sure we understand that word. Uh, because the world, or the cosmos, uh, is used in the Bible to generally describe all of God's creation. Okay? The world is all of God's creation. And then it is used specifically to describe those who don't believe in Jesus. So when Jesus is talking about the world here, he isn't talking about the ground that you walk on hating you right? Or the trees around you hating you. Jesus is talking about the hatred and opposition his followers will experience from those in the world who don't believe in Jesus. And based on verse 25, where he says that their law must be fulfilled, they hated me without a cause, I think Jesus is talking even more specifically about the religious leaders who were about to be the catalysts for Jesus's crucifixion. And so as we walk through life, generally on the earth that God created, and specifically among those who don't believe in Jesus, here's the first truth to help us align our expectations to the reality. And the first is this. We, as followers of Jesus, have been chosen out of the world. We've been chosen out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Uh, we, we talked about the positive side of this reality last week, if you remember. The, we talked about the initiating love of God. That we didn't choose God, but God chose us because God's love initiates. We love him because he first loved us. The Bible presents God as the ultimate 
cause. He is sovereign over all, including my salvation. I didn't seek him. Jesus came to seek and to save me, the one who was lost. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together and and come to him, because if he did, we would never make it. We could never get our act together on our own. So Jesus came to us. We don't come to him with our resume of how great we are or how great we promise to be. No, Ephesians 1-4, we were chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Uh, By the way, uh, Shane and Shane uh, wrote a great song based on Ephesians 1. And it's a song that I want my kids to learn uh, because it's such a great explanation of the gospel and our identity in Christ. And I just want to read some of these words uh, to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in our Savior with every spiritual prize. He has chosen for adoption sons through Jesus' name, for the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You shouldered my shame. You gave me your name. No longer enemy, now friend. Shout out your praise, your glorious grace. You will now keep me till the end. I have been chosen. Yes and amen. Forgiveness, rich inheritance, predestined for your purpose, Holy Spirit guarantee, salvation, hope, and power in me. I have been chosen. Yes and amen. Amen? That's the positive side of this reality. We've been chosen, adopted into the family of God. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven where we will be with Jesus forever. And then this passage focuses on the flip side of that same coin. This world is no longer our home. We don't belong here in the same way anymore. So we're still in the world, but we are no longer of the world. To which I say, praise God. Right? That, is, that, is good, that is good news. I'm so thankful that I don't have to live for what the world offers. If all that we see around us was all that I had, I don't know what I would do. But that also means that we should not be surprised when those who don't believe in Jesus oppose us. And and I need to say, the scale to which we experience what this passage is talking about is so much less significant than what the disciples were about to face and what Christians around the world face today as well. There are followers of Jesus in other parts of the world who live under persecution and threat of death because of their allegiance to Jesus. Christians who are gathering today secretly to worship him, knowing the risk they are taking if they are eventually discovered. And meanwhile, we get to meet publicly, right? Anyone can come, no fear at all. You weren't like considering your safety as you came today. What if someone finds out? You weren't thinking about that at all. We get to broadcast this online, live stream this to anyone who wants to, to watch and listen. We really have no idea what it means to be persecuted for our faith. Uh, Marginalized? Sure, maybe at times. Uh, Could it get worse? Uh, Based on this passage, it certainly could. Uh, and, And when we do face opposition now or in the future, one, we should not be surprised. And two, we should remember that it really isn't about us. Jesus said they hated me before they hated you. And I apologize for the sports analogy, but it's helpful to me, and maybe it will help you as well. I love going to home games for my favorite sports teams. And so I love going to watch the Cubs play at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and that's baseball for those of you 
that, you know, just glaze over when I say the word sports, okay? Baseball. We're talking baseball right now. And, and one aspect of the dynamic that I enjoy is that when you're at your home team's field and your team wins, you celebrate with complete strangers, right? Like, you're high-fiving them, you're having conversations. Like, why? Why? Because you're on the same team, right? You're rooting for the same teams. Uh, I go to watch the Cubs play in Philadelphia, and there's a lot less fans for me to celebrate with there, okay? Uh, Some might even heckle me. Some might boo me. Why? Why? Because of who I am as a person? No, no, they don't even know me. It's not really about me at all, actually. They don't hate me. They hate the hat I'm wearing, right? They hate the shirt that I'm wearing that roots for the other team. It's based on the team that I'm aligned with. And when we become followers of Jesus, we are aligning ourselves with a different team. And the world is not our home field anymore. It's not our home field anymore. The the local church... The local church is intended to be a preview, an an embassy of the coming kingdom of God, our ultimate home field, if you will. Uh, That's why I don't get booed here. (laughs) And don't start, okay? (laughs) I I, I like that. I like like that. I like not getting booed here. That's great. Uh, I, I, I say that Jesus alone is king, and the response is, Amen, right? I, I, say, I say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And here, people say, amen. Uh, but that would probably be met with a different response in other places, right? But, but it's not really about me, and it's not really about you. Jesus is saying the world would love you if you were wearing their jersey, right? If you were one of them, they would love you. And so on the one hand, I think we get that. That that makes sense to us. On the other, I think we struggle because we really want to be liked, don't we? I know I do. We We want to be liked. And we don't want anyone to hate us, even if it's just by association. And we have family members that don't know Jesus, and, and they really don't even want you to talk about Jesus to them. And, and, and you don't know what to do because you want them to see Jesus for who he really is, but you don't want to mess up relationships in your family or, or with your coworkers or with your friends. And so we feel this tension that shouldn't surprise us because we have been chosen out of this world. Our perspective should be completely different now. Look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said these words to them in John 13, 16. He's just a couple chapters earlier. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Not your name, on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Here's here's the second expectation-setting truth. We have been connected to Jesus' name. We have been connected to Jesus' name. All these things they will do to you, Jesus says, on account of my name name. Again, we've seen the positive side of this the last two weeks. If you missed our first two weeks in John 15, I would love for you to go to our website or YouTube channel and watch them. At the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus gave us this metaphor that is so helpful to us understanding our relationship to him. He said, I am the vine and you are the 
branches. Jesus claims to be the self-sufficient source of everything that you and I need. Apart from him, we can't do anything of lasting value. But when we are connected to him, he supplies everything that we need. So we don't have to turn to counterfeit sources that can never satisfy. We get to abide and rely on Jesus exclusively. There is no better life than one that is connected to him. There is nothing better than what is true of Jesus being true of us. We are sons and daughters of God because Jesus is the Son of God and we're connected to him. We are declared righteous because Jesus is righteous and we are connected to him. We can love each other well because Jesus is the source of our love and we are connected to him. Here's the flip side of that. And it's not in fine print. When we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we say, I'm with him, that's my king. That's who I'm going to live for. That's who I'm going to obey. When we claim the name of Jesus as our own, then it's logical to conclude that the reception Jesus receives is the one that we will receive. Because a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus, what makes us think that we are exempt? And again, The disciples were about to have a pretty sobering picture of what it looks like to be connected to the name of Jesus. Because Jesus was about to be arrested, tried, and killed by means of Roman crucifixion. And and it's helpful to know that at that time, Rome had ultimate human authority during this time that they that they that that they but they had this deal with the provinces, including Judah. And the deal was, we won't treat you as brutally as we could as long as you don't cause any problems, right? As long as you keep the peace. That was a lot of Pilate's job, right? He was supposed to keep everyone peaceful. No uprisings, nothing crazy. We don't want any trouble. And so what was the accusation that the Jewish leaders brought to Pilate against Jesus? He's an insurrectionist, right? He's making himself to be king, And so when Jesus was sentenced to death on the basis of that accusation, the logical conclusion is that Jesus' supporters could be next. This is why we see Peter chicken out and deny Jesus three times that night. It's why all the disciples run away and hide. Jesus had tried to prepare them, but they still weren't ready. Look at verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And they hated me without a cause. It's important just to know in those verses that the, the sin that Jesus is saying the world is guilty of his here is not just sin in general, Right? When Jesus came, we were already all guilty of sinning against God, not trusting his authority over our lives. That's why Jesus had to come in the first place. But the particular sin that Jesus is referring to here that they are now guilty of because they have seen and heard him is the sin of rejecting him. And he obviously has the religious leaders in mind. They had heard Jesus speak They had seen his works, the miracles that Jesus had performed. They had seen all of that, and they still said, nope. They still rejected him. 
In fact, all those signs and wonders just made them want to kill him more. And by rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. And just everything in these passages is about connection. That vine and the branches metaphor just sort of permeates throughout this entire text. Okay, so we are connected to Jesus who is connected to God the Father. Right? So what's true of the Father is true of Jesus, which is true of us. We're all connected. We're all connected. Which means that if people reject our message, they are rejecting Jesus, and they are rejecting ultimately the Father, because it's all connected. So when we lift high the name of Jesus, people's response to and treatment of us will be connected to their response to and treatment of Jesus. So that's not to say that we can't get into trouble ourselves, by the way. Um, I, we've talked about this before, but just so you know, it is possible for people to not like us, not because we are followers of Jesus, but just because we're jerks, right? All right? So anytime someone opposes you, you don't get to claim, I'm suffering for Jesus, unless you're connected to Jesus, loving the way Jesus loves, and they still reject you, okay? If you're just being mean to people and say, well, they're going to persecute me anyway, that's not what Jesus is getting at here, right? We, it's possible, but it is possible for us to have Jesus' love flowing through us, to be faithful to his calling on our lives, and for people to still reject us, not because of us, but because of our connection with him. And, and no matter what the opposition is that we may face, most of the disciples that are listening to Jesus' words here were eventually going to be killed as martyrs for their faith in Jesus. And it's hard for us to even like wrap our minds around that reality. That's not what you're thinking about when you're trying to decide whether you're going to live for Jesus. But they believed it was worth it because what threatens true life is not Roman soldiers or an angry religious hierarchy. What threatens true life is not being connected to Jesus. He's the vine. We're the branches. He's the source of everything that we need. And in light of, every, of all the dynamics that might go on in the world, I love the turn that verse 26 takes. But when the helper comes, if you like to underline words in your Bible, that line might be a good one to underline. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here's the third expectation-setting truth. Yes, we've been chosen out of this world. Yes, we are connected to Jesus' name. And thirdly, we have been given the ultimate helper. We've been given the ultimate helper. This passage as a whole is, is fascinating to me. And, and, and I think we need to put ourselves in the moment when Jesus is speaking these words to the disciples in order to really see the significance here and, and the implications for us. Because Jesus is hours away from being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be beaten, mocked, lied about. The crowd's going to turn on him and choose to release a thief named Barabbas, right, instead of the creator of the universe, Jesus. <laughs> like that, that's, Jesus is the one we want to be crucified. Give us Barabbas instead, right? The source of life, kill that guy. That's what we want. Jesus is about to die a criminal's death and a complete failure of human justice. And he's warning the disciples, right? If they do this to me, 
they're going to do it to you. <laughs> if they hate me, they're going to hate you. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If they hate the master, they're going to hate the servants. You, you aren't in their club anymore. You don't truly belong here anymore. I chose you out of this. But get this. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples what life in the world is going to be like for them, so they avoid it. He isn't saying, don't go there, you're going to get yourself killed. That, that's not Jesus' point here. Right? My brain has been comparing this passage uh, to the expectations that our culture puts on parents right now to always know exactly where your kids are and what they're doing at all times, right? Parents, you know that's your job, right? You have to know exactly what, where they are and what they're doing at all times. And if you don't, you're a bad parent and there's a blog that will tell you how you need to be a better parent, right? And some of you, you're like, when I was growing up, my parents told me to come in when the street lights went off, right? And guess what? Your parents were terrible parents, apparently, right? <laughs> According to the standards of today. Now we all have to be helicopter parents or we're the worst, right? And no matter how much you do, there's always more that you should be doing. I, I think that's the pressure that a lot of parents feel. Don't really like it very much. And what I love is that Jesus wants his disciples to know what they're getting into, but he wants them to get into it. <laughs> he doesn't feel the necessity to keep them safe from danger in the world. That, that's, not what he's, that's not what he's doing here. He isn't being a helicopter parent saying, don't go there and don't go there and that's not safe and that's not safe. He's like, guys, just so you know, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> okay? Just, just, just giving you a heads up. They're going to persecute you just like they're going to, just like they persecute me. He wants them to know what they're getting into and he wants them to know that they aren't going to be alone. The ultimate helper, the Holy Spirit of God is coming, but not to keep them away from earthly danger. That's not Jesus' priority here. The Holy Spirit was going to come to enable them to bear witness about Jesus even in the face of danger. You see that? It's not the Holy Spirit's coming to keep you away from all this danger. No, the Holy Spirit's coming so that no matter what you face, you can still fulfill your purpose. You can still bear witness about me. And I love that verses 18 through 25, Jesus has used the word if a lot in that passage, right? If the world hates you, if they persecuted me. And then he gets to verse 26 and he says, but when, when the helper comes. We don't know what we're going to face in this world, but we know who's going to be with us. And Jesus said it was better for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus next to us. And so if you think that having Jesus over for lunch today would be awesome, realize that we have something even better, according to Jesus, every single day. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And one of his purposes is to enable our witness for Jesus, no matter what the response is, even in the face of danger. He enables us to go into this broken world and to tell people that we have a rescuing God. We have a God who sent his son, Jesus, to enter into this brokenness. He lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And then Jesus was rejected by his own people. Instead of being lifted up as a king, he was lifted up on a cross. And there he died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the just punishment for all of our sin on himself. The disciples ran away fearing that they would be next and thinking that it was over. 
But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered sin in the grave. He ascended into heaven, promising to return. This is the gospel. No matter what you have done, if you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be the forgiver and leader of my life. Be the king of my life. All of your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to your account. You become part of the eternal kingdom of God, and you receive the Holy Spirit of God as a guarantee of that future inheritance who helps us, right? He indwells and empowers us. That's what what changed everything for the disciples, Right? How did this group of disciples go from a bunch of confused, fearful, denying, doubting followers to being willing to give their lives for the sake of making Jesus known? How did that happen? It's because they saw the risen Christ and then they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was so important that Jesus said, don't go anywhere until he comes. Right? Wait for him. Wait for him. He's the one that's going to change everything. And so church, we might not face the same persecution that the disciples faced, but we have the same Holy Spirit of God in us that they had in them. And I I, want to share with you just what's so convicting to me about this. I think that there's a natural tendency, the longer we follow Jesus, to sort of seclude ourselves and spend a vast majority of our time with other followers of Jesus. Because it's nice to be in the home stadium, isn't it? Like, it's nice not to be thought of as crazy. It's nice that people agree with you. It's nice that people say yes and amen. We we like being with people that love Jesus. It's encouraging to us. And, And gathering as believers is incredibly important. Don't misunderstand. It's commanded in Scripture. We need each other. If you're not connected to the family of God, if Sunday morning is the only time that you interact with other, other believers on a weekly basis, I want you to know you're missing out. There's so much more to being part of this church family than just what you see here at 10 a.m. I want you to be more connected than that. It's so important. And at the same time, we have not been given the ultimate helper so we can just huddle together and complain about the direction the world is going. And I've shared this before. Uh, But a year and a half ago, I was really challenged that I'm not spending enough time with people who don't know Jesus yet. And I had to change my schedule, and I had to change my habits, and I needed to find more opportunities so I could bear witness about Jesus, not just in the home stadium, right? Anyone could talk about Jesus here. That's easy. I, I need to change my habits so I could be sharing him out there with the Holy Spirit's help and enablement. And, and I want you to know that our mission, making more and better followers of Jesus, is not just for the professionals, right? It's for all of us. We have been chosen out of this world, connected to the name of Jesus, and given the Holy Spirit, the ultimate helper, so we can go back into the world and tell other people about the good news of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. You're chosen out of it, you're connected to my name, and the Holy Spirit's coming so you can go, and so you can bear witness about him. And and I know that it can be scary, 
I know that we're worried about being rejected. We're worried about not knowing what to say. You're worried about being asked the question that you don't know the answer to. Uh, we're, we're concerned that, that, we're just, that uh, they're going to think that we're weird. We're concerned we're going to fracture some relationships within our own family. Uh, I know we're also concerned about the world, all right? And we're concerned about our kids and our grandchildren and what they're going to grow up in. And, and we don't have guarantees, We don't have guarantees about how our world will view followers of Jesus in the future. We don't know what today or tomorrow will bring. So so if the thought of living out your faith in this world causes you fear, here's the question I want you to ponder as a result of this passage. Is our trust in Jesus greater than our fear of the world? Is our trust in Jesus greater than our fear of the world? I, I think... The events that followed this conversation showed that at the time Jesus was talking to his disciples, they had a greater fear of the world than trust in Jesus. They weren't ready. They abandoned him. They ran away. But then the Holy Spirit came, and he empowered them to live and die for him no matter what. And I want to trust Jesus like that. I I, I want that to be my experience with the spirit that is inside of me. That no matter what comes, I'm going to do what he has called me to do. Because my trust in him is greater than any fear I might have around me. And I pray the same would be true in your life as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you didn't put the hard stuff in fine print. But you wanted us to know up front what it means to be your followers and what to expect as we uh, seek to live for you in the midst of the brokenness of this world. Thank you that we've been chosen. We've been adopted into your family. Thank you that we are connected to your name. And thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have given us the ultimate helper. And I pray that our trust in you would be greater than any fear we might feel today, this week, this month, this year. I pray that we would recognize that you have given us everything we need to fulfill your calling for our lives. I pray that we would decide to follow Jesus no matter what and that there would be no turning back because you alone are enough for us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.